All right. What's up to all the cinephiles out there? Welcome to another episode of the Marquee Spotlight, coming to you from the always sunny Portland, Oregon. I'm your host, Spencer Bailey, and I'm here with my co-host. She's about to ride a sandworm right into your hearts, Chelsea Burnett. Hey, God, those sandworms. Every time I say sand, I just think of Beetlejuice, and he's like, sandworms. You hate them, right? <laughs> I hate him myself. That's all I can think of every time. <laughs> I need to rewatch Beetlejuice. That was something I should have done in spooky season. But, you know, I think it's spooky season here through winter. So, well, I'll make it happen. Well, all that being said, that brings us to our topic, spotlight topic of the episode, uh, Dune. Dune, Dune, Dune. We have watched it multiple times. Uh, we are so excited to talk about it. it. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's... Uh, it's going to be a great conversation. Before we get into that, I want to talk talk about a couple things. Chelsea, we're coming up on the end of the year. Yeah. There's still some anticipated movies coming out. What are you excited for? Well, I've been hearing a lot of buzz about your namesake, Spencer, uh, the the film about Princess Diana. She, uh, Kristen Stewart is uh, playing Diana in the film, and I've, I'm... I think she's a really interesting actor, and um, I just want to want to see what what she's bringing to that part. Um, I I never saw Jackie that Natalie Portman was up for awards for that film a few years ago. I know this is by the same director, correct? And um, I think did you see Jackie? Uh, not the whole thing, but I saw enough of it. I've heard people talk about it enough to know that he took some liberties with. I, maybe not even so much. I don't want to say he took some liberties with the truth. He just took some liberties with some unknowns. Mm-hmm. And that was done on purpose. And from what I'm hearing, uh, he did the same thing with this film. He's taking a lot of liberties with with a lot of unknowns, what she was going through during some of the tumultuous times married to Charles. So I I, I heard I heard Jackie's okay. Yeah. I think that I think that Spencer is getting better reviews than yeah, Jackie agreed. did at the time because I think also in part that um uh Natalie Portman did some made some interesting choices I think with some accent work that was kind of some people found distra- distracting. I've heard Kristen Stewart's doing her own type of spin on the accent as well. All the more reason why I'm just excited to see this film. The the uh there was like a teaser trailer too that I it, it just I looks it. it looks beautiful. Well, not yeah. not just the trailer, but uh, some of the best movie posters mm. I've seen in a while. Oh, the movie really? posters are phenomenal. They're really evocative. That one of her like from the back, like with the Better gown, with the dress. yeah, oh, yeah. so good. Mm-hmm. But I'm so sad. I keep making a joke when they, you know, the posters are coming out, <laughs> and, and I didn't, and, then, get it. and I was like, something about this new Princess Diana movie's got me excited. I don't know what it is, and nobody was like, well, I don't know. She's kind of an interesting character. I'm like, I'm just talking about the name of the movie. I'm just kidding. They God, went right God. over my head. I was so embarrassed. Well, not you, Lacey, my dad. Nobody got the joke, so I was like, I'm not, I'm not doing it anymore. Uh, what about you? What are you excited for? Uh, so. So we haven't really talked about him on the show yet, and I'm we're going to do a full episode on his filmography at some point. I have very complicated feelings about Paul Thomas Anderson. I fully recognize that he is one of the greatest directors of the last 30 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I respect him. But there's things I like about his movies and things I do not like about his movies. All that being said, I'm really excited about Licorice Pizza, and I can't quite put my finger on it, but... 
I think it's because a lot of his movies a lot of time have much more serious topics and and are dark and heavy. Even like Boogie Nights, which was humorous, was was dark and heavy. I'm I'm not real crazy about Boogie Nights. I, but I mean, like other than Punch Drunk Love, he didn't really have a lighthearted movie. And this seems like a lot of fun and lighthearted and it's full of people I love. Um, I love Bradley Cooper and mm-hmm. uh, love Sean Penn. And I love Tom Waits more than any of you have ever loved anything in your life. And he's in this oh movie, so I can't wait. Uh, I'm also really intrigued by The Power of the Dog. I don't know anything about it, mm-hmm. but everybody's talking about it. Um, so I'm I'm actually at this point, I just want to avoid it and go in blind Yeah, and hope that it's something really special. Yes, I, I do too. I think it'd be um, nice to kind of uh, get familiar with Jane Campion's work because I am actually like kind of amazed. I don't think I've seen a single one of her films and I've heard so much about her through the years and she's done like, I mean, like I've heard about in the cut, I've heard about the piano. Um, it's, I mean, it bright star, it goes on and on. I, and I think she is, I mean, like one of the, is it three women who have won best director? I'm, I'm not, I can't, she's in a very, she, somebody she, other, yeah. a woman other than Catherine Bigelow's one best director. I, if, if not, maybe oh, she was well, just nominated. Chloe Zhao, excuse me. Oh yes, I forgot about yes. that. I I, sh- I I I don't know. I know the piano was up for tons of Oscars. Uh, when yeah, I don't it, think she it, won for piano, mm. but everyone else did. Yeah, yeah. Little, um, oh, what Anna Paquin? Yeah. Um, well, Holly so, Hunter won too. That's right. Yeah, and uh, I, a lot of people talk about how cute Harvey Keitel's butt is in that movie. <laughs> If that's something you want to take away from Well, if you've seen Bad Lieutenant, you've seen a lot more than (laughs) Harvey's butt. So, wow, what a tangent. Other than to say, yes, Power of the Dog, a lot of buzz uh, around that movie. I I think many people are saying it's probably like the front runner for best picture. Yeah, I've heard the same thing. And um, and then on top of all that, uh, reviews starting to come out for House of Gucci and about what I expected. (laughs) Yeah. some good things and some really bad things and actors chewing up the scenery and I, I don't know. Really Scott put out two movies this year and one I really liked and the other one I'm not so sure I'm going to like. So I was going to ask if I could put you on the spot to give a quick little uh, impression or review of The Last Duel because you got to see it. I, I really liked it. I mean, I know I talked about it for a second on the last episode, but uh, stunning cinematography. All the acting was was quite good and... It helped that it's at least loosely based on some sort of true story. Good battle scenes that we've come to know Ridley Scott to be known for, but they're not the bulk of the movie. The movie's told from three different perspectives. It's told Mm -hmm. from Matt Damon's perspective and then Adam Driver's perspective. And then the woman whose name escapes me. um, Jodie Comer. Yes, Jodie Comer. uh, From her perspective, which is the movie... I don't even want to say implies. It just tells you is the truth. Um, I, I, I really liked it. And I, I think that had it come out closer to Christmas or maybe over the summer, I think it would have done a little better. Uh, I think October was just loaded and it, yeah. it, it, it fell by the wayside. But it's coming to to rent here soon. I okay. saw it today. So I encourage everyone to to see The Last, the last Duel, uh, first screenplay written by 
Ben and Matt since Goodwill Hunting. So uh, I I really liked it. I thought it was one of Ridley Scott's better films in a long time. I and I hope that we can do a Ridley Scott uh, podcast someday. Oh, we will. W- what a what a diverse filmography. And Micah just told me that he one of his very early films is called The Duelist, which is kind of funny that he I don't know just came back around full now circle with. with the last duel, but um, cool. I I am sorry. I forgot that you did mention it in our our last podcast. It was don't brief. know where my don't know where my head. Is. It was very brief. Uh, so we're gonna dive into a quick news story here. So with the sudden resurgence, I say sudden the the resurgence this year of AMC theaters, thanks to the uh, Reddit stock traders, <laughs> uh, the CEO of AMC has got some big plans in the works for for their newfound. He, he called it, yes, armed with a war chest of over $1.8 billion. I'm like, damn. All right. Thanks to many of them, these what they're calling, I guess, Reddit investors. Uh, AMC is now um, 80% of their shareholders are individual investors as opposed to institutions. And this is kind of, I think we're in such a... A, a a new territory here now. I feel like with a lot of um, w- with just in the way that uh, so many people are interested in the stock market these days. I I'm not. I know I need to be more interested. But um, like when I saw this headline for this AMC story, I was like, oh, I'm remembering when you know in the deep dark days of the pandemic when GameStop was going under AMC and people took to Twitter to Reddit to to rally behind these these dying companies and now i think it's it's kind of it's kind of cute in a way that this the this CEO of AMC is having to answer uh, almost in like an AMA style or something like he's he's listening to what these shareholders are wanting and and some of those things that or at least he's trying to entice them and some of these things I guess he thinks are enticing is talking about AMC credit cards uh, merchandise that they could tie in with uh, certain th- movie releases um, NFTs which I I I barely understand what NFTs are do you know m- much about NFTs yeah, absolutely not mm, I don't know what you're talking about non fun See, I don't even know if it's non-fundable or non-fungible tokens, but it's like what like I think Elijah Wood just got in trouble because you can purchase like it's like a digital it's something that doesn't exist. It's it's not tangible. It's like all digital stuff. Is it cryptocurrency? It's it's kind of tied in with cryptocurrency. Yeah, I don't understand any of that stuff. I no. I, I watch this, you know, whole thing unfold. So I'm on Reddit quite a bit and I don't know anything about stock trading. I understand the bare minimum. So when they were buying up all the GameStop stock, uh, I understood that enough. Apparently, there's one guy, I don't know his name. He has like a YouTube channel, but he kind of told everybody, hey, a bunch of people are about to short all this GameStop stock. We need to just buy it all up. And it worked. Um, now, I think GameStop probably needs to change their business model now that they've been saved. But after the GameStop one worked, everybody turned to AMC and said, well, let's do it again. And we're were successful. I think it's cool. I mean, as a kid, we had an AMC theater that I remember going to mm. some of the favorite childhood movies um, until a shiny new Regal opened up and it, it killed the AMC theater off. But my earliest memories of going to the movie theater were at AMC theaters. Um, so 
the more theaters, the better for me. I agree. Yeah. This, this, if anything, kind of just in, it uh, mirrored a lot of what we've been talking about, I feel like, over the last couple of months, like in, in our attitudes and feelings about getting back into the movies and saving the theater experience. So uh, this seems like AMC has big plans, which leads me to believe that they're not going away. The movie theaters are not going away anytime soon, despite what happened with the pandemic. So, and not even to put it all in the pandemic, you know, people were going less and less to the theater anyway, uh, with more video on demand options, which, which was a bummer. I, f- I feel like they were saying that like, you know, the big like superhero films were what were keeping theaters alive. But, um, I don't know. I do think that the pandemic made people, look at the theater going experience in a new way and kind of pine for it. And I think it brought this big resurgence. No, I agree. I, I think sitting at home made people want to they realize <laughs> how much they like going homes. out and doing stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I also wonder, I mean, these 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 people that do all this stock trading and talk about it on Reddit, I mean they they were already doing it, but I wonder if sitting at home during COVID made new people do it or made them people who did it casually do it more more frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, either way, it's a cool story. It is really cool to hear that any company is m- almost completely owned by individual stock stockholders, yeah. and they are not going to sell. And that's the GameStop and the AMC stock. They they have a name for it called it's called Diamond Hands, and it's basically hold on to your stock, don't don't let go. Um, and it's really it's just as much about sticking it to the man than anything else, which I'm always behind. So. Kudos to you all. Way to go, AMC. Please don't squander this. um, And uh, we'll see what comes of it. Yeah, we'll see. All right, we're going to take a quick little break, and we'll be back to talk about Dune. Only together can we stand a chance. Let's fight like demons. Dune. Chelsea, mm-hmm. honest question. Is this one of the greatest cinematic achievements of all time? Ooh, I think I need more time to sit on that. But uh, of the last 10 years? Yeah. Yes. Yes. I I don't know. I, I'm Maybe once part two comes out and I can see them as a pair. Because um, I'm very excited to see part two. But... You, I think I did it wrong. You saw it in IMAX. I have rewatched it in my home. I did go to the theater, but I didn't see it IMAX. And I'm kind of kicking, kicking myself for not seeing it IMAX. I don't know. Uh, yeah, listen, folks, if you still have a chance to see it in IMAX, like, do it. Um, I think as the years go by, if 
I meet people and I bring up Dune and they're like, oh, just watching HBO. I would give them the same sympathetic look as if they told me they just put their pet down. Like, <laughs> I'd be like, what? You poor thing. It was an incredible experience at IMAX. I do think it's one of the greatest cinematic achievements of all time. And before people are rolling their eyes, like truly, I, I think in the years to come, we'll look back on this film the same way we look at Terminator or we look at, mm. you know, uh, aliens. I mean, if you don't know the history of Dune as a movie, people have been trying to make a good version of this movie for decades, mm. decades. And we're going to get into all that. And Denis Villeneuve crushed it. This is one of the most aesthetically entertaining films I have ever seen on top of having this incredible cast of just, just really, really talented actors I, I I cannot say enough good things about mm-hmm. Dune. It wasn't perfect. I mean, no, you know what, what you know, very few movies are, but I think Dune is sitting at like eighty three percent of Rotten Tomatoes right now. Who went and saw this movie and said no, thank you? Yeah, I I think that if if there is one complaint to be had, it's there are times when I felt the movie dragged, but. There, on a rewatch, I think that there are other things to take in the slower moments of the film, like either in in appreciating the score, uh, sound design, appreciating the 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 sets. Um, I I think that there were a few too many cutaways to the to Zendaya, like to. Paul to Timothy Chalamet's vision he was having of uh, this woman who belongs to the Fremen, and I, I, it, it, it just it became almost distracting how many times it cut away. But I also am a little trepidatious to have a really strong opinion about that because I have not read the book, and I know like what I found is interesting is that in the David Lynch version versus the Denis ver- Villeneuve version. The David Lynch version relies a lot more on the inner monologue the characters which was are a having, terrible choice. which I've heard is what the novel is like. There is a lot of internal dialogue happening, well, sure. and it seems like in the in the twenty twenty one Dune, um, there instead of more internal dialogue, they did a lot more. There is still some of that, but I felt like they they used more visuals uh, to to pr- portray that. Well, sh- well, sure, and that's pretty common. I mean, that's why a lot of times it's really difficult to translate a book to film because books will have things like a stream of consciousness, like you were saying, and you have to find a way to do that without exposition. I mean, it's, that that was okay. You bring up. The 1984 Dune. So let's just let's just talk about this. So the book comes out in the 60s and it's a massive hit. It's like one of the greatest sci-fi books of all time. I have not read it either, but my mother is a huge sci-fi fan, and uh, she she loves Dune. It's one of her all-time favorite books, and she's been waiting for like something like this. Mm-hmm. So if you've never seen it, one of my favorite documentaries, possibly my favorite documentary, is Jodorowsky's Dune, and it's. Uh, a director named Alejandro Jodorowsky was tasked with making a Dune film in the, was it the 70s? Yes. It's been a, it's been a while since I watched the documentary. Mm-hmm. It's a really cool documentary because the ideas that he was having for that time were way ahead of the game. And he talks about, he's got, you know, drawings 
um, frame by frame drawings of camera shots he wanted to do that are things we take for granted now, but he wanted to do it ahead of time on top of things like he wanted each planet to have a theme. So on one planet, he said, Oh, somebody recommended I go talk to some young band. I'd never heard of them. Pink Floyd. Uh, and for the, uh, the the villains planet mm, um harkonnen the, the Har- Har- harkonnen i know they say it right. different in the lynch film and in denis villeneuve's film but yeah, yeah the, the harkonnen he reached out to a very young hr giger uh oh. to design that whole planet and he just these ideas he had were so cool and his film never came to light uh to his to his much he- Yes, he Sadness. was devastated. It sounded like, it, uh, but he didn't want to compromise. Like he and I, he is a true artist to his core, and his he in his mind he didn't want to be held within studio restrictions to make that movie. Um, he said it can be as long as twenty hours if I want it to be. If I think the film needs to be that long, it will be that long. But you know, uh, he, I can't believe he even met with Disney at the time. <laughs> Or to produce that film. Can you imagine what kind of a world we would live in if Disney had made Jodorowsky's Dune? Yeah. But um, that was at the time they were making some really weird kids movies. Mm-hmm. But it, what uh, I, I thought was such a cool way to end that documentary was to show the team that he had built a, behind, around uh, the pre-production of that film, what they've gone on to do and how they've shaped cinema and how so many of, yeah, his, from his uh, storyboarding, like shot for shot, they were showing how this has been used in other films and um, like from Indiana Jones to uh, Blade Runner. Um, it's it, it's right. pretty incredible how far reaching it goes. He was very, Joe Dorowski was very like ahead of, his time he um, was but and i love i love that he was trying to i think what he said is he like wanted to give his audience the experience of tripping on lsd without (laughs) and it seemed like he was going to probably be able to achieve that um it seemed like he was a big fan of lsd i think it had probably done enlightened him in ways and i think he saw this film as a way of he wanted it to enlighten uh he wanted it to enlighten people and i um uh, i think that uh leading from that into the david lynch film if you want to mention the thing he said when uh, well yeah he was he was very sad that he didn't get to make his version of dune and when the david lynch one came out he he didn't want to go and I think his family members were like, let's just go see it. And he said, I was in the theater and I was very sad. And I started to watch it. And it was terrible. And I thought, there's still hope for my movie. <laughs> um, but going into the David Lynch one, and you know, David Lynch, who is a, he's a great director, uh, up to this point had not done much. I mean, he'd really done like Eraserhead and The Elephant Man. And mm-hmm. then they asked him to do one of the most anticipated you know, and greatest films. sci-fi novels. Yeah. yeah, it it oh it's it's bad. And I, just right off the bat, the new film is like two and a half hours, two thirty-five. The eighty-four film is like two ten. Mm. The story that takes place in the new film is a little over half of the nineteen eighty-four movie, and then they just rush the rest of the story because this was a time where its sequels were rare yeah 
They just didn't. I don't think there was the money like no. as prevalent to set aside for sequel, yeah. like to plan for sequels. But as you brought up, there's all this odd stuff. There's all this internal dialogue giving you an exposition dump, and it was just it's just lazy. It's just so lazy to a just lot, pull that right out of the book. And a lot of voiceover from Virginia Madsen, um, who has a lovely speaking voice <laughs> and is so beautiful in the film playing, um, I think she's playing the emperor's daughter. Yes. Um, uh, but uh, I totally agree with you that it really feels rushed along. But if there's one positive there's there's one just one positive to take from the Lynch Dune, but one of them is it made me so excited to see part two of Denis Villeneuve's sure. Dune because I got to see on screen how the story ends, and I'm like, oh, I can't wait to see what yeah what yeah. this new cast and this new director bring to that absolutely story. But. And there were some cool stuff. I'll say for the time, some of the visuals were very cool. I mean, they look dated now, but. If you put yourself in that time period, I bet it was a cool spectacle. And then there was some other stuff. I love when um, – so well, one of their problems with the movie is odd casting. Like Sting, the musician, <laughs> is, is a villain. But after Paul, who's played by Kyle McLaughlin, defeats Sting, he uses the voice and just exclaims really loudly. He makes the ground crack. I loved that. Mm -hmm. I thought that was really cool. But – just just so many odd, strange things that you just can't help but you just die laughing at. It's just, what what was he thinking? I will say the actor, um, I'm sorry, I don't have his name in front of me, but the actor who played Duke Leto in the Lynch film, I really liked him. He's a German actor. Yes. I, I don't remember his name either. He's a good actor. I really, really, I felt like he had one of the most grounded performances of, of the... Uh, um, of the actors in that film. So, or he just, he seemed like he fit the role the best. Sure. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it was, it was, it was something. It's quite a, quite a spectacle. I felt like David Lynch, that's not really his wheelhouse to want to work with that no. type of special effect, uh, no. heavy movie. And it, I think it read like, yeah. I mean, at that point by that movie had come out, I mean, how many star Wars films had already been out by that point? At and least like, two, I think, Jedi came out that same year. And this, I mean, it looked really shitty. Like uh, some of the the special effects that I just kind of felt like I, in a different director's hands, maybe like they could have yeah. pulled something from it. Uh, I mean, so, even David other. Lynch disowns it to this day. Yeah. Right. So, so let's talk about Dune now. I mean, it's been anticipated. So first of all, Denny Villeneuve, what a meteoric, meteoric rise this, this guy has had. I mean, Prisoners comes out, nobody's heard of him. Oh. He, I think he'd mostly done French-Canadian films. That and movie I, knocked my socks off. I remember going to see it in theaters. Same and I here. was like, oh, I'm in love with Jake Gyllenhaal. Like I had never I think like it like reinvigorated my and and Hugh Jackman. I mean, yeah. they're both incredible in it, but yeah. I was completely enthralled with that movie in the theater. Um then he puts out Enemy, which is one of the weirdest movies I've ever seen. I, I had to like read and watch videos dissect the meaning behind it uh but then sicario comes out and that, i mean just that might be his best movie just blew the doors off falls it up with a rival which everyone loves and then uh blade runner mm -hmm. 2049 which was underperformed a little bit but is is quite magnificent as well so i was really excited to see what he did with dune and i remember in the theaters thinking this seems like it was in nolan's wheelhouse and i kind of wonder if they went to him first, especially yeah. with it being Warner Brothers. 
but I don't know that he would have done as good of a job or better as Denny did. Yeah, I think that there is um, a little more soulfulness to Denny Villeneuve's films than Christopher Nolan's, and I think that this story needed that. Um, and uh, I, I've there were times watching Dune that I was like, oh, this is giving me like a perfect blend of what I loved in Arrival and what I loved in Blade Runner 2049. It like was just striking this really cool mood. I think that the sound work in, um, well, in both films, but in Arrival, especially with the, um, the, the aliens that they're communicating with, like I felt like, he took notes from what he did on Arrival and brought that to Dune. And um, it, it only like enhanced the the film and his overall vision. Yeah, no, sound was great. I really do wonder. I wonder if they came to Nolan first and he turned it down because he wouldn't have any creative liberty with the story. He oh. would have to follow the book. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I, I, I really find it hard to believe that Warner Brothers didn't go to Nolan first. Yeah, unless he just already was yeah tied up with some other projects or i guess tenant maybe at the time maybe maybe um but uh i i want to say because i think i came in under enthused in the beginning talking about this movie and i didn't mean to because it is a it is an amazing movie i think i'm just i don't know maybe i'm just trying to be like devil's advocate or something here well, no, I, but um but what i wanted to say to to really praise the movie is that in all of the exposition or all of the voiceover that had to be done in the David Lynch film with uh, what I was saying with Virginia Madsen, uh, this version, the new version, was able to convey all the same information, drop me right into the story without having to give all that clunky dialogue. Like it was, I think it was really masterfully um written and crafted uh to to so that you 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 pretty quickly are caught up with with what is what are the stakes who are the characters what does this all mean absolutely and i do think that there's you know use of terms and 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 themes that if you read the book you know and if like they really do just give you certain stuff like you're supposed to know it for the people who read the book there's terms i had to look up i rewatched it at home uh, last weekend and towards the end when they're running from the sandworm he, he you know he, he steps on the ground he's like drum sand and i was like what the hell is drum sand i had to like they don't tell you they don't bring it up so you got to look it up and it's a thing in in the book but no i mean the movie flows pretty smoothly maybe it slows down in a couple parts but overall i i was just so completely engaged with it mm. based off the, I mean, the opening shot. For, oh, so first of all, I want to bring up before we even get the production company logos, there's just a foreign language with a subtitle that just reads "Dreams or Messages from the Deep," uh-huh. and then we get the Warner Brothers logo. I, I, that, I've never seen that before. Mm-hmm. The trailer's in. Boom! Here's here's a weird alien voice. Now you're getting the production logos. But that opening shot of the spice harvesters and their gear as the, I was just like, Oh my gosh, I've never seen a movie that looks like this. And it just started, mm. but the visuals, his use of the visuals with the shields. Um, when I love when they're attacking and Josh Brolin looks up and he can just faintly see the ship mm. off the planet. Yes. In the, in the, up in the sky. It's just the, the choices he made visually 
were so smart on top of Hans Zimmer, who absolutely outdid himself. Yes. Uh, again, none of the score sounded like Zimmer. The use of drums and... Oh, it was so uh, compelling, know, yeah. Tribal, where they, and then the one scene where they're warming up using Mongolian throat singing. I mean, Hans, just he's, he's just going to make amazing movie scores until he's dead, I swear. Um, can I can I have a little uh, Timothy Chalamet appreciation corner? Oh yes. Uh, so we have uh, since we started this podcast, Chelsea has not got to do her gushing over Chalamet, <laughs> but she's a big, 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 big fan. I'm a huge fan of his, and not only do I think he is super, super handsome, super cute. Um, I think he is just as talented um, as he is handsome. And I just think he is someone to watch. Like, I, I feel like he's going to have the next kind of like exciting career in following in the footsteps of like Leonardo DiCaprio or something. But what I loved so much about his portrayal of Paul is that he does he so he's in his like mid 20s i think he was right around maybe like 24 25 when he shot this movie and but he he can play i think believably a teen like a late teenager which the from what i've heard the character in the novel is a teen he's like 16 yeah, yeah. And that age doesn't necessarily matter that much for for seeing the movie. But I, I think it does matter in terms of like this is a younger person who is dealing now grappling with like being told they're possibly like the next messiah. And when their father hasn't even really given them like an opportunity yet to really spread their wings and um branch out from the family because he's still wanting to protect him. And uh, so he's, I, I think, I, I, I think that Timothy Chalamet does so much with uh, his eyes. And I, what I loved so much is the hand in the box scene. I think that could have the way he had to portray the pain that he's experiencing with his hand in the box and like having to prove uh, that he that he wasn't going to let the animal instincts inside of him take over and that thus be killed by the, this uh, woman from the Bennett Gesserit. I, uh, I was just like, I could watch that scene over and over and over again, because I think like with the, the, the frothing at the mouth, the, the, the sweat on his face, like he was carrying himself so well. And um, I also just can't wait to see in part two how he's going to mature that much more and uh, bring this story to to a close. And as he kind of fills the shoes of this, um, the the quasi genre. I, I I know I butchered that. I I love Timothy Chalamet. I'm very happy to have finally seen his performance in this because I was um, eagerly anticipating its arrival. Yeah, I mean. We've talked about this even before we started this podcast, but I, I've certainly seen him and stuff. He's everywhere. I just haven't quite dove into his filmography as a lot of people have. And I, I know people were quite taken with him and I didn't really have strong opinions one way or the other. So I made sure to really pay attention to this film. And the first few scenes, I, I was just like, okay, here he is. And I thought he was even kind of rushing his lines a few times, but the hand in the box scene was where I was like, okay. Yeah, here we go. And to the rest of the movie, I thought he did quite 
quite well. Um, walking with his mother through the desert, all of that yeah. was, was done really well. And, and hats off to him for being around all of these other insanely talented people and holding his own kind of with them. Yeah, I think my favorite is the, all of them are in a room together. And by the way, Oscar Isaac, who I already love, but just come out of it, just I just want to hang out with that guy. He's <laughs> so great. I think he's going to win so many awards in coming years. But Josh Brolin, who's also an outstanding actor, um, and then Jason Momoa, who I don't know if he's as good of an actor as some of these other guys, but he's so charming, and he was such a perfect choice for Duncan Idaho. Yeah. The way he interacts with Tim- Timothy Chalamet versus the way he interacts with uh, people who rank above him. I really enjoyed all that. But, oh, my God. If you forgot how good of an actor Javier Bardem is, he walks into that room <laughs> and just owns everybody without Absolutely. saying a word. <laughs> just completely takes over the room the second he walks in. That guy is incredible. He rocks that uh, hooded cape. Like, it is... Uh, and. I even feel like he puts like a little extra flair on it. I, on the rewatch, I'm like, as he turns away from uh, from the Duke, it's um, yeah, it's a very commanding performance. It's commanding, perfect. Work. He just, I mean, he's only in two scenes, but even at the end when he's kind of crouched on the rocks, kind of hanging his head to the side while he's talking to him, he's he's on un, he's unbelievable. Uh, and then Rebecca Ferguson. I hadn't really seen her in anything. Oh. She was outstanding. Um, Incredible, like, handwork. Like, not only just the, like, kind of sign language that, that she um, yeah. practices, but uh, even just in the way that I feel like in like in the hand in the box scene when she's waiting outside the door, unsure of what's going to happen to her son. Like, I think she's just doing some some very expressive things that really worked for me. And, yeah, I love – I really, really – loved her performance yeah i love the the sign language thing and i don't know if that's in the book it certainly wasn't in the 1984 film at all uh, she was great and then charlotte rampling who was in two scenes and yeah. just owned it <laughs> owns it uh just yeah a lot of i mean stellan skarsgård playing the baron uh, what a great cast uh, it, it helped so much i i think this is a movie that it would have still been good if you had some more below the radar actors in it but having all of these thriving talented people that you recognize in these films and they all did a great job you're not thinking about who they are during the film you're just sucked in just thumb two thumbs up absolutely yeah i think um i i I get a sense too that they all really enjoyed working on the film i remember seeing like behind the scenes um clips and I mean, on on Timmy's Instagram too. I remember when he was out in Jordan working on it, and he was posting a lot. And uh, I, it just it seemed like they were they were having a grand old time. And I think that reads on this on the screen. So I think they knew they were under a really they were under good direction. Um, and Denis, I think time and time again gets. Uh, I, I think he brings great performances out of the actors that he chooses. So um, absolutely, I mean, Amy at justice justice for Amy Adams in Arrival because that was probably one of the best performances she's ever given, and it's a shame she was not recognized. <laughs> no, agreed, agreed. Well, she was recognized by enough, I, I guess, uh, uh, circles, but I, I guess when it comes to the Oscars, she was. Oh yeah, well, she's been nominated like six times now, thousand one one, but she's she's been making some. Some poor choices lately. So <laughs> yeah. fire your agent, Amy. 
anyway, back to Dune. Yeah, so a sequel has been greenlit, which I think we all assumed would, but because Blade Runner did not perform the way it made it, it made a profit, but it didn't perform the way the studio wanted. I think that they were kind of tentative to give Benny the green light automatically for a sequel. So he was pleading with people, please go see this in theaters so I can make the sequel. Uh, but it's been greenlit and word is he actually wants to make three. Okay. So it's a pretty big book. Uh, I did kind of chuckle. Lacey and I were talking about how at the end of the movie Zendaya or Zendaya. I'm not sure. Was it Zendaya or Zendaya? I, you know, I think, I think I may have mispronounced. I think it is Zendaya. I think it's Zendaya. Yeah, I think I mispronounced it earlier. She turns back and looks and says, "This is only the beginning, or this is just the beginning." And Lacey kind of groaned, and I said, "Well, here's why I bet you they did that. The movie was not originally called Dune Part One. Mm-hmm. It was just called Dune, and." He didn't know if he was going to get to make the second one. I think that was a way for the early audiences to go, oh, there's more. Yeah. Because I hear, you hear like people who saw some of the early screenings, they thought that they were seeing the whole story in one film. And it wasn't until about the two hour mark they realized that they weren't. Yeah. And then they put part one in the title. Mm. I think you're on to something there. I had heard... Uh, some rumors that possibly there was in early screenings or test screenings, people were, did not respond well to this. It really only being part one of the novel and they felt like, yeah, they felt cheated or something. And so they revolted and they added part one to those opening that, that title, uh, scene. So, um, yeah, I bet you're right, though, that it was a little up in the air if the sequel was going to be greenlit or not. So they probably had to do, I don't know, a second unit gets in Zendaya in to say that line. <laughs> probably. <laughs> probably. So ultimately, I, I mean, I think that's it as far as my thoughts go. Uh, just an incredible cinematic experience. I, I cannot recommend it enough. It is still on HBO Max. It is still in theaters. I'm pleading with you. If you are a fan of movies, and why would you be listening to us talk about movies if you weren't? Hmm. If you have not seen Dune, go see Dune. And if you've only seen Dune in your living room, please, God, go to the theater. You will not regret it. Yeah, it's certainly like a feast for the eyes. It's it's a really just – it's a very cool story. And now that I feel like I have – I've uh, been absorbing a lot of Dune content between the documentary, the Lynch film, and then watching Denis Villeneuve's Dune twice in the last couple of weeks. I'm like, this is a story that only gets better the more you revisit it. And I think that uh, it's got a lot to say. I, I I heard that when the when the novel came out, it was make making a lot of, I think, statements about the Vietnam War and you know, there's a lot to take from, from that. And, uh, in this overall messaging of, of the film, uh, it's, it's a very, it's a powerful, it's making powerful statements that I think we all need to be watching. One last thought though, Chelsea. So we know some of the characters that are going to be in the next film, important characters, one being the emperor. Have you thought about any casting choices that you'd like to see? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, I've made a short list. Okay, let's get, let's get your list because I'm just going to... So this is just the, totally off the top of my head. I wrote down before, you, before we did this. Uh, Ray Fiennes. Okay. Mads Mikkelsen. Yeah. 
And Lee Pace, who I haven't oh, seen anything in a while, but I love that guy. And he's such a commanding presence and voice. I'd be all for it. Yeah, because he's been in the is is it the Guardians movie? He's been one of the Mar- he was in Mar- Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy, and he was in the Hobbit movies. Yes, and oh, big big love for uh, pushing daisies. I don't know if you ever watched that show. It I was, didn't. Oh, it was my mom was a big fan. It was so charming, and he he's wonderful. Yes, Lee Pace. Wow, I love that. Yeah, let's give him more work. Um, let's do it. I. Uh, we'll leave it there because I can't think of anyone on the spot. <laughs> well, we know we're going to get it. So because this is a movie movie review episode, Dune is our recommendation. It's a three. If I could give it a four, I'd give it a four. I guess it's our show. We can give it a four if we want. I'm giving it a four out of three. Go see Dune. Yes, absolutely. I um, I also say give it, give it a four. Get ready to just let... Let it kind of, it's going to be a little bit of, like, don't expect it to be, like, action-y sci-fi. Not saying that there's not action, and there are some very cool, especially, like, hand-to-hand combat scenes, but um, I, 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 it's, it's definitely a moody sci-fi epic. Go see it. It's amazing. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. We are going to do one more this month. We're going to do the the 95 Oscars, the films of 1994. I've been wanting to talk about this since we started this podcast. We've been prepping for it. It's time. This is not going to be a, hey, let's, let's talk about the Oscars awards. That That's not what this is. It was an incredible year for movies, but the way the movies were perceived and the way the awards were given out drives me insane, and I just want to talk about it so bad. It really is just overall a fascinating, fascinating year of movies. Yeah, it probably uh, caused a big like shift in the tide uh, in uh, Hollywood. I-, I think it's a really cool year to look at just like, I, I think it's 1969, which they say is like, you can pinpoint whatever year it was like Bonnie and Clyde and the graduate, like in, in, in some ways, I think it's, it is very much like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so as always, we are on Twitter at the marquee spot LT. We are on Instagram at the marquee spotlight and you can reach out to us directly, uh, at the marquee spotlight at gmail.com. Um, if you're enjoying the show, leave a review. Please share with do. Your friends. Hit the like button or do whatever you want. You're an adult. So for the Marquee Spotlight, I am Spencer Bailey. I'm Chelsea Burnett. We'll see you. Desert Power. Thank you for listening. The Marquee Spotlight is recorded in Portland, Oregon. Music composed and produced by Josh Colopy. And cover art created by Taylor Engel. Check us out on Twitter for updates regarding new episodes and listen to episodes anywhere podcasts are found.